evening and welcome to another episode of black ink red film i'm your host steven and with me as always is is the other steven thank you for joining us tonight tonight we have a bit of a special episode for you guys it's a bit of a bonus episode we're going to be talking about the last battle of wichita which is a bit off topic from what we usually talk about which is the usual horror films and sci-fi films but this one has a special place in our hearts because it was written by our co-host, Mr. Stephen E. Payne. Get out. It was indeed. Oh, yeah, I did that, didn't I? Yeah, so if you can't, like, use your own podcast for self-promotion, what can you use it for? <laughs> so tonight we're taking a little bit of a detour. We're going to talk about The Last Battle of Wichita, which is a novel by Stephen E. Payne, available from all the usual places, which we'll get to. And we hope you're excited about it, as we are. And as you know, we're all about the money, so self-promotion is so important for us. That's right. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. So, Stephen E. Payne, tell us a little bit about the plot of Last Battle of Wichita. So, The Last Battle of Wichita really is based in a bit of modern mythology, if you will. So, it's based in the world of professional wrestling, based primarily in the 1980s when um, professional wrestling was really at kind of a interesting intersection in its history, where it was a extremely successful regional promotion that was on the verge of becoming a national phenom. And during this era, there was allegedly a match that took place somewhere in Wichita, Kansas, known as the Last Battle of Wichita. As the legend goes, this match was untelevised, unpromoted, No pictures or video ever existed of it. And it supposedly was the last match ever fought between local legend the Hangman Colt Younger and what remains today an unknown adversary. Mm -hmm. Some of the myth around this match is, well, one, did it ever take place or not? Number two, that it was more than just a mere wrestling match, that it may have turned into a legitimate all-out bloody fight to the death between Colt Younger and his adversary, and even some have pushed the legend further to suggest on this particular night, Colt Younger was fighting the devil himself for the soul of his young son. Hmm. Now, the novel really pursues two storylines. It pursues a modern era, actually set in 2019, where Joe's now son, Joe Lee, who's a disgruntled agent working for the world's largest wrestling promotion, is fed up with the current product, he gets into some trouble, and as part of his pseudo-suspension, he gets sent back to the home, his own hometown of Wichita to really investigate a story in which someone claims to have found a videotape of the last battle. Joe doesn't believe it, but he really has no choice, and he hasn't been home in a long time, and he goes back to Wichita to really look into the story, but at the same time trying to learn more about his father, a figure that all he remembers was someone who who abandoned him before he turned six years old. In a parallel storyline, we go back to 1983, and we follow the story of Colt Younger himself in the time leading up to what would become the last Battle of Wichita itself. So the story really place, takes place in two timelines, really telling intersecting stories of father and son, both on their own kind of internal battling their own demons and really on their own journeys of discovery leading to discovering something worth fighting for in their lives, something neither of them ever ever really truly had. 
Mm-hmm. And by the end of the story, we understand both characters. We understand their journeys. We understand the closure to whatever degree they've achieved in getting where they are. Right. So we've got two storylines going on. We've got the storyline in the 80s with Colt Younger, like kind of classic wrestling in my mind. You've got like, he's like the Hulk Hogan type, for lack of a better words. You've got the modern storyline, which is taking place, I guess, in current day. Correct. Yeah. And there is what I liked about the novel. It does have this supernatural, or I don't know if it's supernatural, but it has a mysterious element, kind of like the Polybius video game. Did this thing actually occur or not that the uh, current timeline, the Sun uh, character is trying to search? So what were some of your inspirations for this like there's because there's like three basically three things going on it's a voyage of discovery there's the battle there's classic what were some of the inspirations well back when i so back when i originally wrote this it was a screenplay and my inspiration i had always i had been a wrestling pro wrestling fan since really the early 80s you know there was something about the combination of theatrics and athletics that really drew me to the spectacle that it was because you saw actors who didn't look like any of their actors and you had athletic events that weren't going to be over and you failed cheated in five seconds like your pay-per-view box, boxing matches did right. that you actually got your money's worth out of it. And the carnival aspect of it and the theatrics really made it kind of a fascinating thing for me. Mm-hmm. So I had always kind of wanted to write something about wrestling, but I was like, I don't know, I couldn't find a hook for it. Then every once in a while you'd hear a story about, oh, there's this legend or this myth, there's this lost tape, there's this lost event. And somehow it came to me, the whole idea of there being this mysterious match that took place that no one can completely account for, and all of a sudden tape appears of it. Yep. And it became the last battle of Wichita. And then the story sort of developed and I turned it into a, what really, it's a father-son story. Challenges of being a parent, the theme of finding something worth fighting for, family loyalty, and also really by the end of it, there's a, a great twist where you sort of realize the difference between a real good guy and a real bad guy, which parallels with kind of the storyline, good guy, bad guy elements that wrestling always presented. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, I wrote it as a screenplay back when I was still into writing screenplays. It got very good notice, but you know, the feedback was, wow, this is fantastic and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No one's going to buy it. Mm. So thanks for coming. Good night. Which is amazing, which is amusing now because right now we've had the young rock, the story of the rock. We've had heels, a, sh- a TV series. Chris Hemsworth's making it. Hemsworth is making a Hulk Hogan movie. There's other wrestling stuff in the works. So apparently well, there, there was, was like slightly, Netflix. There was glow on Netflix. And there was glow. Yeah. So apparently you know, I was a little ahead of my time or didn't have the right agent, whatever. Right. And then when I, I went through a period of time where I was laid off around the start of the pandemic, as some people can identify with. And at that point, I realized, I thought, you know what? Instead of just sitting around doing nothing, hoping I can get a job someday and playing on LinkedIn all day, let's take and do a different avenue in my career. Let's try writing novels instead of screenplays. Mm-hmm. So during the 10 months that I was laid off, I, I adapted six of my screenplays into novels. The last battle was the first one of them. You know, I decided, you know what? Actually, this turned out pretty good. Let's go about publishing it. And my tactic... So I basically did something that you usually don't hear. I took a screenplay and adapted it into a novel instead of the other way around. Hmm. And my... I've joked with people, sort of my strategy when I turned into a novel was... I want to do the novel so well that people, if it ever does become a movie and they use the screenplay, they say... 
wow, whoever wrote this screenplay really screwed up a really good novel. Right, right. So I basically decided to go all out with the novel, and uh, you know, it, and now it was published last July and has been available ever since. I'm sure our readers or listeners will correct me, but I'm pretty sure the Thunderball movie from from Ian Fleming, the fourth James Bond novel. I think it started as a, it was a screenplay he developed. And then when it, before it became the movie, he like reverse reversed it into the novel. Well, it's not the first, um, yeah. allegedly Cormac McCarthy wrote, uh, no country for old men as a screenplay. Oh, interesting. And okay. then turned it into a movie, which then became the screenplay, which then won every Oscar in the world, rightfully so. So yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not going to brand new territory, but yeah, yeah. but it um, is to your point. It's not common. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, Usually yeah. go the other way around. So you and I are the hosts of a podcast called black ink red film, which I understand this. is the greatest podcast ever produced out of San Jose, California. That and may be true. That may be true. We often talk about decisions that filmmakers or authors <laughs> did as a result of that. And so now we're putting our own or you're putting your own neck out there for a critique. So one of the more interesting things you did with this novel is it's basically written by, uh, it's written in two point of views, right? There's two point of view characters and the story eventually comes together at the end in its own way. So tell us a little bit about the decision to write basically a story that happens in two timelines and uh, why you chose to tell the story in that way. I told that way because I really wanted to, again, a part of the, the inspiration for the story was this idea that there was this discovery of this possible discovery of this videotape of this mythical event. Mm-hmm. So, you know, easy enough to go down that road, but I thought it would also be good. But I was like, well, I really want to, we really want to know the videotape, no matter what is on there is not going to tell a full story. So we really should figure out what the, what happened back then that led to what we're going to see on the videotape by the end of the story. So the only way I could really do that, in my opinion, was to to do it in two different timelines Mm. and really alternate between the two. I mean, I don't know there are a ton of great precedents for it. I mean, arguably The Godfather 2 did it, Mm -hmm. and so did Once Upon a Time in America, but I'm not going to sit here and claim either of them were inspirations for it. It was actually a, a real trick. Again, this started as a screenplay, and what I had to do initially was lay out your one, two, what's going to happen in acts one, two, and three, and essentially do it for two separate characters. Hmm. So where at the end of act, you know, when we get to the inciting incident for Joe Lee, the sun set in modern day, an, inc- an inciting incident also has to happen for Colt Younger back right. in 1983. Yep. So it was tricky. I had to balance both of those. And oh, here's another fun part. So that I had to balance was Joe Lee, the son, is in both timelines. Yes. At different ages. Clearly. He's a yep. little boy in the 83 timeline. He's the adult now. So there was, I had to do a lot of essentially parallel outlining mm-hmm. for the two characters. And at which point it really, once I got that set, it was sort of a matter of, okay, then I just have to alternate without it being too metronome like. I had to alternate. Okay, we're in 83, now we're in present day. We're in 83, now we're in present day. So that was really kind of the bigger tricks, was just going back and forth between the two. And with the screenplay fitting it all into 120 pages, with the movie, I mean, with the book, it was easier, because I can do a whole lot more with 110,000 words than I can with 120 pages of screenplay. So now, getting really meta about it, if you were to rewrite the screenplay based on the novel... 
would you do it as a movie or would you think it would be better suited as a miniseries or a two episode Netflix special? How would you do it now? I would probably I would probably leave the screenplay mostly alone. Okay. Um, it was I mean it was a well vetted. This is why I had some confidence going into the writing the novel to some degree, which was even if I had to get my writing style and technique down for novels, the story itself was extremely well vetted through reputable sources. Yep. So I knew I had a good story right. with the screenplay. So I was able to add things to it with the novel that I wouldn't have had time to do in the screenplay. Um, but I would probably leave the screenplay mostly alone. It also, the screenplay has a bit of a different pacing to it also from the standpoint. And I remember one of the, one of the readers who, one of the competitions who gave me high praise for it was saying there's this cocaine field pacing <laughs> to it that would have matched the eighties cocaine field pacing. Yes, it did. And it's what he said. And, and it works from the standpoint of a lot of things I was able to do, especially in the 1983 timeline was, I did a lot of montages. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea was the stuff happening in 83, especially the early, uh, the first act or so, was really about the wild life of Colt Younger, the wild life of the main character, you know, those wild and crazy live every day like it's your last days right. of the 80s, which is what it felt like. With Joe Lee, his modern timeline was meant to be a little slower, meant to be a, in its own way a little more disjointed, but also come at a slower pace. So I didn't prep you for this question, but who would you have, like, ideally, if you had actors for these roles, who would it be? Well, I pictured, uh, although now he's playing Hulk Hogan, as it turns out, I would have loved to have Chris Hemsworth Mm. play Colt Younger. I think he's too old for it now, but I would have loved to have had Paul Giamatti play um, play Joe Lee. I'm sure there's, you know, there's probably a modern equivalent of a young Paul Giamatti out there now. I'm just not aware of. Right. But those are the two guys. And then I would have loved. probably on Stranger Things, one of the characters on there. Uh, It's why everybody is, right? Or he's British. That's right, exactly. Some British guy who sounds American. Some British guy. So those would have been, the other guy I would have cast was, so there is a character in the novel set in modern day named Jimmy DeFalco, who effectively is Vince McMahon. Right. I would have loved uh, in the movie to have Stallone play him in kind oh, of a, in a glorified yeah, yeah. cameo. I can totally see that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So those are kind of... I've been asked it a number of times, and I remember one of my ex-bosses asked me, yeah, so who's going to play this guy in the movie? Say, like, oh, Chris Hemsworth. And in the middle of a meeting, he, like, steps aside, looks on his phone. Oh, yeah, he'd be pretty good. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so those are kind of the... Yeah. So when you, if you read the book, kind of picture them... And you'll have a pretty good idea for who I had in mind. There you go. the The book is obviously a love letter to professional wrestling. It, it, your your passion for the sport, both in the we'll call it the vintage days of the '80s, the cocaine fueled '80s, as well as like the modern WWE version of it, um, shines through. Although, even in the book, you can tell that the modern guy um, Joe Lee laments about how commercialized the sport has become. What are your feelings on how professional wrestling has evolved over the last 40 years? Well, first of all, I do, I, no offense to you, I I, I have a little bit of problem with the love letter thing, just because from a standpoint of love letter makes it sounds like I'm just glorifying everything and making it whitewashing everything about it. I mean, I hope it does. And again, a lot of the feedback I got on the screenplay indicated there truly is a passion for this topic, which I guess would be true. So if that's what love letter means, then sure. Yeah, cool. Fine. Yeah, passion for the top. Yep. Um, Love. 
it's not a love letter. No. Whatever. But go on. If that sells a book or two, fine. <laughs> there you go. Well, again, the the trick with the novel, and I hate to, I, I it's probably pushed people away because oh, it's a book about wrestling. Yes, it's set in wrestling, but it ultimately is a family story as much as it is anything. Sure, it's a, it's a story about manhood, about familyhood, about fatherhood, about responsibility that I hope, and about people battling their personal demons, which is really what I really want to have come through. But no matter where it's set. Because really, this could be about rodeo players. It could be about any athlete. It could be about... This could be the star is born in many regards. Right. But as far as the, the, the different products, so... I'll say it this way. I was talking to somebody about pro wrestling a while back, and it's amazing how many people turn out to be closet fans even today. And I remember this guy said, it's hard to believe people actually used to think it was real. Hmm. And I responded pretty quickly, not offended, but I said... Well, there was a time when it looked more real. Mm, and that's mm. really the big difference between the old product and today. Is that back in the... Well, really, I mean, this has been around for over a, a century. And back between the dawn of mankind through the 40s and 50s, when it was the most popular thing on television after Milton Berle, and through the 60s and 70s, and when you know it was making millions of dollars around the world, there was a sense of realism to it. There was mm -hmm. a sense of the theatricality didn't feel phony that you felt genuine rivalries you had guys who are pro wrestlers who legitimately could kill you in a bar fight mm -hmm. and perhaps in some cases did so there was a lot and there was not a lot of weird high flying and and gymnastics going on it was brawling and mat wrestling and people looked like they were trying to tear each other's eyeballs out mm -hmm. the modern product is really more about and again there's been a huge corporate influence Bad guys aren't able to be real bad guys because they might upset the Make-A-Wish Foundation or something else. Mm. And you now have a lot... It progressed to the point where you had... The, I mean, really, the bar got raised and not for the better. Where, okay, just mat wrestling wasn't enough. Now we had to jump, climb to the top rope and jump on each other. Well, we can't do that anymore, so now we have to throw each other through tables. Well, now the tables have to be on fire when we throw <laughs> each other through them. And now you can't just dive off someone. You have to do a triple Lindy, you know, corkscrew splash. Uh, and even then you're not going to pin them. We have to get another 20 minutes out of it. So it's gotten to the point where we have better athletes doing it. But they don't necessarily, but they're under a, you know, very polished corporate guideline. And what they do doesn't look like something would happen in real combat. And it looks way too choreographed now. And where we used to have, you know, ex-Marines, football players, you know, professional bar brawlers doing this for a living. We now have gymnasts. We have guys who play video games when they're not doing it. So it really is a different dynamic now. Again, there's a lot of good stuff that does still happen. But it's definitely not the same as it, it used to be from that standpoint. Yeah. It still has a... It, and if you look at it, the following now, and now the WWE is arguably you know it's more profitable than it's ever been but that's more to its marketing and it's it's know, a juggernaut it's, yeah, it's a juggernaut it's, yeah yeah it's a content provider and it has its hand in a lot of different things when hulk hogan and, and andre the giant had a match on friday night main event years uh, however many years ago it was i think they had 30 million people watching it that night now you're lucky if you get two million people watching it on their regular monday night shows so the viewership has gone down tremendously 
and you're you are not they're not really attracting younger fans either it's really a lot of us old guys still hanging on to the memories so that's really interesting you say that because like so i am not i have not followed wrestling the way you have but if you were to ask me about it to me wrestling has paralleled the movie industry like like the when you when you talk about 80s and you know Andre the Giant and characters like that, it felt more like a 70s film. Mm-hmm. And now when I watch, or and I don't watch them, but when I see ads for WWE mm-hmm. and the, it feels more like a Marvel movie, right? There, there, that's a per- perfect example. I mean, if you look at the difference between, well, let's look at action films. If we take a look at the difference between Terminator 2 mm-hmm. and Avengers Endgame, right? You know, the amount of spectacle is obviously greater in modern era. The technology is greater, but the visual coherence, the psychology, and really the storytelling are not as are not as good. Yep. Same with wrestling now. You know, you could have a great match between two mat wrestlers in 1980 that would sell out the place, and with neither guy even getting up to the top rope to do something or picking up a chair. Now it's like every match; it's all about the spots. It's all about just you know the theater of running around doing these different moves no real psychology and you get the impression well it really don't look like it hurt they can't be hurting each other so we'll just watch this and give a you know yeah. tennis clap at the end of it so they are they have actually gone similar routes yep so i will say having read your book you're right it is a character driven story which is framed with wrestling similar to so I just read Joyland by Stephen King. So mm-hmm. for our, yeah. our fans, it's uh, we'll, we'll do a little brief sojourn into Joyland. So Joyland, Stephen King novel, I think it came out around 2013. Basically, to me, it's the first cousin of The Body, a very character-driven story, which has this carnival atmosphere as the backdrop for driving the story. And I think your novel, um, Last Battle, is very similar in that it, it is really a coming-of-age drama or a reconciling family trauma drama. Family trauma drama. <laughs> with, with you could that, coin that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Based in that wrestling work, if you will, environment. So, um, and I will say, without I won't give too many spoilers away, but there is... There's just enough sort of supernatural... Hmm, is, is this... Mm-hmm. Is something going on here that keeps the right. reader guessing. So obviously your love of horror films comes through or your your weaned on horror films comes through on that. So well done. I really enjoyed it. I hope our readers well, pick you. it up. Thank you. Uh, where can our readers pick it up at? Well, the usual haunts. Um, you can get it on Amazon. Again, The Last Battle of Wichita, uh, Wichita available in Kindle or paperback. You can also get it. Now, my publisher, Doran's Publishing, would rather you pick it up through them. I, re- sure. I would rather you do that, too, since I get a bigger slice of the pie. But I understand. Tens of dollars. Tens of dollars. So right. either form, either Dorrance Publishing or Amazon can get it for you. I've heard rumor it's also shown up on Walmart website and Target and whatever else. So, But let's face it, you're going to go to Amazon. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I think it's actually been on sale on Amazon recently, too. So um, now might be a good time to go grab a copy. So if you're listening to this podcast, obviously, you know where we're on. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that. If, so if you are if you are having any trouble at all finding this book in either electronic or physical format, please just drop us a line in yeah. any one of those. And I'm sure one of us will get back to you on how to buy that. And fairly soon, I'm going to be actually, it's been a long time coming. I'm going to work on setting up 
and I have a Facebook page. I'm also going to be looking at setting up a legitimate writer's website. And a couple of the quick new contents that will be on this website will be The Last Cowboy, The Complicated Legacy of Colt Younger. It's a long essay I wrote right. on, on that character and understanding what happens in the story. And you'll start seeing some new original short stories on there as well. But there will be some additional material on The Last Battle that I supply on that that website from time to time. Sounds great. Anything else you want to say about the book before we close up for any other business? No, thank you for giving me the opportunity to self-promote. And again, I hope all of you take, I know some of you have already, but I, I hope all of you take the time to pick it up and enjoy it. And if you do, please leave me a good review. It would be it would be very nice of you. Yeah, you know, we are kind of an anomaly as it relates to podcasts. We don't have like Patreon or no. Ko-Fi or any of those things. So if you ever wanted to say thank you to the podcast, picking up Stephen E's book or picking up one of my adventures yes. is about the best you could do for us. So yes. Stephen E, thank you for joining us on the podcast. We hope to have you on the podcast again in the future. Well, thank you. I, um, I hope to be here again But you're as a soon. guest on the podcast now. So usually you're in the host what? role. So I get to yeah. be... The solo host. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to wrap up with a little somber, any other business. Okay. So over the last week, we had a loss in the community. Ray Wisniewski, whom I have known for many years. I went to high school with him back in the 80s, passed away earlier this week. Ray Wisniewski um, is a giant in the role-playing games industry here in the Bay Area. He was one of the, I believe he was the founder or the either the proprietor or the owner, at least the manager of the Game Castle um, franchise of uh, game stores out here in the Bay Area. And um, just an all-around good guy. He was directly responsible for getting me for introducing me into role-playing games back in the 70s. Like I said, I went to high school with him when I first decided to potentially write role-playing games. I went to him for advice, and he gave me great advice. He has always made Game Castle, um, the game store, available for playtesting. He's always... It's just a tremendous loss. I, he, I, I didn't see him weekly, but I saw him enough, and... I was really shocked and saddened to hear the news of his passing. It was it was really tough to hear. So I want to say uh, my condolences to his family and all the employees of Game Castle and everyone else who might have known him because um, he was a really good guy and we need more humans like that in the world. Yeah, I had um, it when you actually you gave me the news of his passing and I was Shocked and sand, and one of the things that hit me was that I had never, never had the chance to meet him. Oh, we're Facebook friends. I mean, I think yeah, one, we've read his mail here. He's been a frequent yes, listener. Yes, he was the, a he was a top fan of the show. Yeah, and I'm sure I connected with him on Facebook through through you or mutual friend. And I, uh, you know, we had some wonderful exchanges, and I enjoyed my interaction with him. And it shocked me that I have never met him because it felt like we'd known each other for a long time. Right. And one of the things that hit me most was the fact that I had always wanted to meet him and now I knew I never would. So I thank Ray for everything he's done. He was a tremendous fan and human being. Like you said, it's, I consider it a tragedy that I, I I would have loved to have finally met him. 
So, you know, my prayers out to his family and friends and people at Game Castle because he did seem, seem like a stellar human being. He was. He was just a all-around great guy. So we, um, we hear a Black Ink Red film. We are very sad to hear about his passing. So uh, hold, your, hold your friends tight. So with that, we're going to... This is a little bit of a bonus episode. We're going to cut this one a little bit short tonight. And uh, we're going to have another episode out rather quickly and we hope to see you soon so have a good night everybody take care you've been listening to black ink red film with your hosts Stephen newton and Stephen e Payne. music was created by matthew murdoch please send any comments questions or requests to black ink red film at gmail.com and you can also find us on twitter and facebook thank you for listening